Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Mikeus Templus. And I am a jagged little pill. Oh. Welcome to episode 153, Barbed Wire, Hoodies, and Choke Choke Slams. Woo! 9-1-1. 9-1-1. I mean, that, that is a chant that we probably hear on this show. Yeah, I think uh, I think I I'm, I'll have to look at my notes as we go through. I think I counted the choke slams. Uh, there was a few of them. There was a few. They weren't lying. Definitely not. Although hoodies, what's up with that? I was trying to figure that out too. It's like they had the ECD, ECW come out with a new piece of merchandise this week. Uh, I mean, we got a couple guys maybe from the hood that show up. Oh, I've uh, never heard them referred to as hoodies. I've never heard of them either. Okay, okay. I'm just going with. I just thought possibly, yeah, maybe. Taz had an upgraded look. Maybe I didn't see him wearing a hoodie on the way out or something. But yeah, yeah. Here we are. Why was there barbed wire? Oh, yeah, we we got that. This was a supercard produced by ECW. It would take place on June seventeenth, nineteen ninety-five, at the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, with an attendance of one thousand one hundred and fifty people. They were all there. All oh, they were all there. All, all of them were there. So yeah. When do we retire the joke? I was about to say it, <laughs> and I'm like, mm, I've had it. Yeah, no down feeling back again. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I think it's retired now. After that poor showing, that, that, that might be the end of that one. Might need to find a new one. Or maybe we'll have to pick it up at the end of the show. Yeah, after, I'll see if I can find any songs, more songs about Philly. after this little, not necessarily Philly inspired drink. Given that we're back in Philly for the uh, who the fuck knows how many times now. Uh, I'm sure Matt would if I asked him. But it'll be I'm a trivia question. Do that. <laughs> Just a, like the sixth time. Fifth time and seventh time, something like that. Yeah, yeah. In, just, time in, in ninety-five. In ninety-five. Okay. We are in Philly, and I did as I often do, where I try and figure out what the hell do people in Philly eat or drink or smoke or whatever. At this point, we're just gonna have to start smoking <laughs> Newports. <laughs> um, but I decided to change it up a little bit, and I went for something that is inspired by the show that we were watching. Matt had actually just asked a second ago, where's the barbed wire? It's right here in our cup. Oh, wow. Ooh. Fellas? What is this? Meet the barbed wire. The barbed wire. Is it, is it named um, after the Pamela Anderson movie? I don't think so, even though the movie came out not too long after this uh, show here, because mm-hmm. I want to say it was like early 96, late 95. I could be wrong, but... A movie that only exists because of the intro credits. Yes. <laughs> um, Very true. Very true. The barbed wire is a uh, completely alcoholic cocktail, uh, yeah. which goes good with ECW. It is vodka. Well, I should say it's supposed to be vodka, Chambord, a licorice liqueur, and That's what that is. A, uh, a little bit of sweet vermouth. But my liquor store 
decided that they did not want to have any shamboard today, so I attempted to mesh or whatever, fix the problem with raspberry vodka. So this drink here has raspberry, raspberry vodka, uh, sweet vermouth, and the licorice liqueur that I found was uh, Sambuca. What is Chambord? It is a raspberry liqueur. Oh, okay. So you're close enough. Yeah. We get that raspberry flavoring. It has a, uh, a very medicinal smell to it. And actually, as I once, said. now that you've told me that there's raspberry in it, I'm. You like, can taste it. That, that's, that's what that flavor is. Yep. And see, I'm not it's, a huge raspberry fan. Me neither. But it doesn't. This isn't. This is medicinal. Yeah. But it's not too much of a raspberry. It's missing flavor. the lemon garnish that they uh, suggested, and the color doesn't exactly match the drink. This has more of like a champagne color to it, whereas the one in the picture that I was going for. I know it felt very white grape whenever I looked at it. Yeah. Yeah. It has Some more of a white, uh, white grape juice. A burnt red color to it uh, in the. Oh, because of the liqueur. Yeah. Yeah. So since since we're missing that. Raspberry liqueur. We just got the clear vodka coloring to go with it. Yeah, this, yeah. this uh, boozy, champagne boozy color cocktail. is caused by the uh, sweet vermouth. Let's uh, go ahead and give a little sip a little clink, on clinky, there. Clink, yeah. clink. Through the here we go. Yeah, it's mostly fine. Pretty sweet. Yeah, it's honestly not as bad as I thought it was going to be, considering that it is just pure alcohol. <laughs> Shaken and strained into a cup. It's a the, the, diet Nyquil. Like the, fir- the first drink, the, the like the first taste of it, it does catch you off guard. Catches you off guard because it does like kind of that Nyquil kind of taste. But that's the licorice. But once it like settles, raspberry, once, raspberry it se- licorice. once it settles down, like on the tongue, mm-hmm. you can get that raspberry flavoring, nice. and it's it's pretty nice. Makes your taste buds go pop. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe I have an. I'll bring something for the next time we go to an ECW show because I have a raspberry vodka drink that we used to drink when I turned twenty-one that we made up on the spot. It was, we called it a piranha. I don't remember why, but it's old glory energy drink and McCormick raspberry vodka. You drink three and switch to beer because any more than that, you're going to be having a weird time. We called it a piranha. We called it a piranha. I don't remember why. Uh, it was just kind of a joke, um, but we drank them a lot because they're cheap and gross. But we're gonna have a piranha rama tonight, Anything guys. Anything with old glory is gonna be gross. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's better than I. Yeah, better than I expected it to be. I think if it had a little squeeze of lemon or something there, it would have put it just right over the top. But then mm-hmm. again, it may have made it lemon cough syrup instead. <laughs> Who knows? But it's a uh, take. Yeah, take lots with alcohol. Yeah. Is what ECW shows should say exactly. instead of warning, like you know. Uh, parental warning, advisory. Violence. <laughs> yeah. Say warning. You need to drink. <laughs> yeah. Be as drunk as the crowd, and and you'll enjoy it maybe as much as they do. I'm not gonna lie. I also looked up to see if there was a uh, a cocktail called a hoodie, and a cocktail called a choke slam. There was something called a choke slam, but it was a specialty drink that was made at some little festival. I don't even remember where yeah. the hell it was. Something and with I weird could not ingredients. Find a uh, a recipe for it, so I went with the uh, we'll keep looking. The one that did. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll have to invent the, our own choke slam. There you yeah. go. But we'll call it the nine one one. They had a different one that said barbed wire number one. I think that one was more of a shot. This one, it's supposed to be in a martini glass, but Michael didn't have martini glasses, so I use these old school champagne glasses. Yeah, these glasses are kind of cute. They look like they're plastic, and they're definitely not. Mm-hmm. I was looking for some of these to buy, and 
serve a future cocktail in. Uh-huh. Anywho, well, something, that, well, something that happened right around the same time as barbed wire hoodies and choke slams. Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill would be released earlier in the week. And over the course of its time, it would end up winning Album of the Year and selling over 33 million copies worldwide. I'm pretty sure that this album was just showed up in your mailbox if you lived in the suburbs. I don't know how it entered my home. I didn't have any money. My parents weren't listening to this. This album was in my house. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm pretty sure it just shows up. Isn't that ironic? I mean, don't you, don't you think? We, we definitely need. The yeah, I know. Rim yeah. Sh- rim yeah. shot for that <laughs> but this thing has like five. Like gym. half this album is like singles. Oh yeah, this mm-hmm. album is. I love this album. This was. Uh... It's basically like what if uh, we made a grunge pop record. I mean, yes, yeah. like because it's like got it's got the attitude. I don't know if and it's like kind of rocky. Ever heard her first couple of albums she made. For the Canadian market. To be honest, I thought this was her first record. I assumed that she'd been around a while. It was not her debut album. Nope. She made two for the Canadian markets, and they bombed. Yeah, and then she like took a hit of weed, and this came out. She or actually, Nirvana put out a record, and they were like, "Took a hit of something, someone." (laughs) Yeah. Or her producer took a hit of something, and he's like, "I got an idea. You have a wild voice. Yeah. (laughs) What if we put it to rock music? Like everything doesn't have to be happy and fun. Yeah. Because I mean that's." Yeah. She got burned by Dave Coulier and came out with a Rage River record. Damn right she did. I feel like Rage River record that she hasn't quite been able to. It was a big deal when the second one came out. Come back to yet. And uh, nobody bought it. I think that she was naked in the video. Her her stuff has. It's. I mean, nothing is ever going to touch Jagged Little Pill. It was just a a lightning in a bottle. But her her music still to this day is still good. Oh, I'm still a fan of of Alanis. Just the, the follow up albums, there was nothing that grabbed onto this audience that she had found. It also uh, seemed like she took too long. Went to so everybody got what older. she was doing, but it was like she was just kind of grabbing at everything and putting it to music instead of, I don't know, maybe, maybe she needed to do like Adele and, you know, take a few years off, have another heartbreak, <laughs> something. I feel like she took a, too, too many years off, maybe. Yeah. But I don't know. Who knows? She's doing fine. We know that. She sold 33 million oh, albums yeah. when that mattered. The album has gone on to become a Broadway show, didn't it? Yes. Really? Yeah. It's, it's actually on Broadway right now. Yep. Uh, I th- uh, I have a hard time going back and listening to it because the voice is just like too much and it didn't age very well for me where now I'm just like, you're doing, too- you need to chill out a little bit. Oh, and see, I'm, I, I still have it on rotation oh, on yeah. my playlist. Oh, yeah. Still one of your where... go-tos? Oh, yeah. I mean, this was the I mean, first this... album that I can remember listening to repeatedly from start to finish learning all the words, singing along to everything, instead of just picking out my favorite songs here and there, you know, finding the hidden track at the end by letting the, <laughs> the CD play. 20, yeah, well, your first, like, you know, that's my record. I mean, it was three years later when she really support, supposed former infatuation junkie. She had actually just taken a trip to India, and that's where a lot of that music is oh. inspired from. For some reason, I thought the album, the next album was Thank You or whatever. I didn't know there was that, one in Thank You is on that album. Oh, okay, never mind. I just thought that was the name of the album, too. Yeah, she My did uh, the song for uh, the movie City of Angels, Uninvited, uh, between Jagged Little Pill and... I mean, yeah, but we're not topping Iris. Jackie. Yeah, I mean, Uninvited is pretty good, but we're not topping Iris. <laughs> Fuck Iris. Nah, dude, Goo Goo Dolls are Iris cool. is what made me hate the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> Goo Goo Dolls are you cool. You didn't work at Blockbuster. <laughs> I did not work at Blockbuster, that's true. <clears throat> yeah, I, I can... 
I'm, I'm proud to say that I love Dave Grohl and he's the only drummer that I can pick out hearing just from him smacking a drum. Yeah, just the sound. Goo Dolls, all I have to hear is that first guitar strum. It's like, nope, changing. Mm. Nope, shutting off the, the music altogether because Blockbuster murdered me with... That song. Yes. Actually, her first three American albums all went number one. Because mm-hmm. this one... Supposed infatuation and then under rug swept all went number one oh, wow. albums in the U.S. And that one's the one that had hands clean. I don't remember that song on it. I remember "Thank You" because it played a lot on the VH1 Thank you, like India. playlist. Yeah, man. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to give that album a, a listen. I like when people do weird Indian add like weird Indian music to like their their rock or pop music. So man, I was a fan of a Atlanta. I mean, she wasn't who she became way back then, but you know, back on the old Nickelodeon show, you can't do that on television. Oh, yeah. She was one of the kids on there. Mm-hmm. I loved her in Dogma. I loved her on Weeds. I forgot <clears throat> that she was in those things yeah. Apparently all. she was supposed to be the lead in Dogma. She was supposed to have uh, Linda Fiorentino's part, but she couldn't do it because of scheduling purposes, so they gave her the role of God instead. That way she would have... Honestly, it's better because you get like a drop, and then it's like, oh shit, that's Alanis Morissette, and mm-hmm. she's very good. In, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a good, it's a good, really great cameo. She went from, you know, possibly telling dick and fart jokes with Jay and Silent Bob to just going... Yeah. Um, a nose. Crazy Chris Rock's line. in that movie. Damn, I haven't seen Dogma in a long time. I used to love that movie when I was a kid. George Carlin's in that movie. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Yep, I love me some Atlantis. I still need to see the uh, Jag Little Pill musical because. Yeah, they were just they were too. just they had just announced it whenever I went and saw her in concert live a few years ago, and her live was Good. awesome. Yeah. yeah, she her voice hasn't changed <laughs> at all. Like, yeah, like you hear some people and like it's mature. Like if you ever listen to to bring up a different. Canadian pop star, uh, rock punk pop star uh, Avril. Oh yeah! Like if you listen to her she stuff, she could never sing she, in the first place. When Come she, on! When she released her music back then, and when her, now, like you can tell, her voice is completely matured. Yeah, and it's a different. Like it still sounds. It sounds better. Probably. Oh now really? Yeah, yeah. That's believable. It's like so. Oh Avril. Yeah, I've definitely seen plenty of um, old guys, old like you know, go to like a dad classic rock show and be like oof it's like getty lead you just can't sing as high as you used to (laughs) understandable you're like 60 alanis was one of those women of the 90s that i mean the women of women in music in the 90s kind of owned the back half of the 90s you know starting with 95 because i mean you had alanis you had madonna that came through with another big album soon after that you had lauren hill that dropped the Miseducation of Lauren Hill soon after. You had Meredith Brooks that tried to sneak oh, in there and be an Aladdis. God, I hate that song. Mark off. Uh, you had Sean Colvin that showed up. You oh, had, damn. Uh, You're really bringing me back here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Garbage was big at that time. Baruch Assault. Baruch Assault. Oh, yeah. yeah. Justice for Baruch Assault. Spice Girls were dropping. <laughs> yeah, so 95 kicked off. Uh, and as more said, easily the most successful with the exception of the Spice Girls and uh, of Sweet course Madonna man. was our, Madonna, Madonna already done her thing I mean you had Mariah Carey I think that was trying to change her sound in that time frame too so yeah music was changing Canadian grunge was 
Sweeping the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, corporate corporate grunge fronted by uh, Alanis Morissette. But I also love the fact that they uh, turned her story into Robin Scherbatsky's story on How I Met Your Mother because Robin was a Canadian pop star who was modeled kind of after Alanis and then decided that she was going to take a dark turn and they changed her look to Alanis for that one little episode. Uh, <clears throat> that is pretty funny. Yeah, so, yeah I'm, great. I'm not quite sure what all that means, but I believe you. All right, let's take our hands out of our pockets. It's a song, right? It's like the fifth single. Yeah. And uh, nice. yeah. got one hand in her pocket. Yeah, but we're gonna take our. Yeah, well, we're gonna take. Giving a high five. <laughs> or on air high five. a cigarette. Mm-hmm. Or hailing a taxi cab. Yeah, that was my jam as a kid. I liked that one. And we're gonna head to Philly, as we get the date and location of our show shown on the screen. Before we head straight to our first match, Broad Street Bully. Versus the New Jersey Devil. Mm. So Broad Street Bully is Tony Stetson in a Flyers jersey. While the Devil is some guy in that a... plays hockey, right? In a Devil's jersey. Or they're saying he's a hockey player. They're they saying s- he is. Oh, they say that, like, the... Some, he stopped the... Some, some, the Flyers got, kicked, got stopped from making the playoffs or something. So this is just, like... Like, They're just playing on what did we get the current a like strike after the baseball strike. Or? I don't know. <laughs> a few days before, <laughs> oh, really? the Flyers had been eliminated from the Eastern Conference Finals by so, the New Jersey Devils. So this is the whole reason this match exists. This is the whole reason this match is here. It's basically so Philly can get their revenge and Tony Stetson can get fifty bucks. <laughs> exactly. So literally, Stetson kicks and starts pummeling the Devil. Before making a pin in 17 seconds. Yup, hits him with a cheap shot. And you know who's about to show up? Post-match, the devil starts attacking the bully as he's celebrating with a hockey stick. When music hits, bringing 911 and Paul E. dangerously out to the ring. 911 grabs the devil and chokeslams him three times. Grab that devil. As Paul E. takes the mic. Welcoming the devil to Phila fucking Delphia. 911 then grabs the devil for one more. Choke slams. That's four choke slams. Four, four choke slams. In the first five minutes. Yeah. If that. If that. <laughs> we then go to our second match Big Val Puccio versus Mikey Whipwreck. And I have an interesting note for Puccio here. Cat? Him and his brother. Were a tag team called the Undertakers. Oh, okay. When WWF wanted to use that name for Mark Calloway, so they came to an agreement with the brothers and basically bringing them in to work some house shows for WWF, and that was their biggest exposure that they ever got. Oh wow, that's that's kind of cool that they at least I'm sure they paid them okay. Oh, I'm sure. They paid if them I were them, well. I would be like house shows just. Give each of us like 10 grand. <laughs> so the crowd starts chanting, You fat fuck. They're Big not talking Val. about Mikey. And then kick his ass, Mikey. Kick his ass. Puccio uses his power early on, throwing Mikey down to the mat, which causes Whipwreck to hurt his shoulder. But Mikey starts unloading with his left hand, hitting a drop kick, and goes low, not once, but six times. Before hitting a DDT for the pin and, and the win. win. I know I was writing down, I was like, he hits him in the nuts twice. And I was like, 
three, f- five times. That's <laughs> like, Jesus, man. <laughs> yeah. Should have been called, um, like, barbed wire, nut shots, and choke slams. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to our third match. Shaw! The Shaw Hackmeyers versus the Vampire Warrior. Bildez from the other side of darkness. <laughs> Which is like, okay, I don't even know what that means. That hurts my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And some mental gymnastics. So yeah. Um, we, we just... Just go with it. I mean... Yep. So uh, Vampire Warrior is better known as Gangrel, and this is his ECW debut. Dude's been a vampire his whole damn life, huh? Actually, this is kind of when he first started. He had just yeah. kind of started doing the. Vampire I mean, I imagine, yeah, gimmick. like War- Vampire Warrior's a horrific name, uh, but the <laughs> he should be like, like yeah. in New Japan or something. Because he is <laughs> actually Vampire Warrior. Before, Hawk Warrior. Before he did this, he was actually a jobber for WWF. Oh. And he has a face for a he started He started kind of workshopping the gimmick, and he went and got the fangs. Didn't like. Yeah, he has real fangs. Yeah, he has real fangs. Like, he went to crazy. the dentist, got them, and that's when he went to the independent scene and started doing this gimmick. I mean, it paid off for him in the long, long run. That's right. It's, it's 2022, and we know who the fuck Gangrel is. Guys. Yeah, exactly. We got we got the brood. He has a wrestling school, uh, but that's about it. He seems like a pretty nice guy. So the two men jockey for position to start with, as no one gains an advantage until Vampire Warrior tosses Hack out to the floor, following out with a crossbody from the top rope. Uh, Joey St- Joey Styles, maybe I can get an interview with the vampire. Sounds like a bad movie. It's like <laughs> it's like ah oh, Joey, we love you for so many reasons. And that's one of them. Yes. <laughs> back in the ring, Meyer starts to mount a comeback with left hands, a back body drop, and a clothesline before hitting a leg drop from the apron. Hack then sends the Vampire Warrior to the corner, and he charges in, only for the Warrior to move out of the way and hitting an implant DDT for the pin and, and the win. win. And Joey mentions that Vampire Warrior must have been taught that DDT from Dreamer or Raven, oh. as they are the only man who can do it that well. I love that, the, like, vamp, the crowd's kind of split. Totally. Because they kind of like Vampire Warrior, because he does that, like, crossbody uh, to the concrete, and it's like, oh, that's how you get over here. He was yeah. smart enough to know his audience and to do the thing, and everyone's like, yes, we like him. So I thought that was nice and intelligent. Joey Styles is then at ringside with Tommy Dreamer, Luna Vachon, Stevie Richards, and Vampire Warrior. And Stevie says he's got his man, the Vampire Warrior. But Tommy doesn't seem to like the pairing between the two. Warrior admits that Luna is his wife, which is real. And he wants Dreamer's hands off of his woman before sucker punching Tommy, which leads us right into... Our fourth match. Oh my gosh. Tommy Dreamer with Luna Vachon versus the Vampire Warrior. Warriors attacking Tommy before grabbing Luna, only for Dreamer to recover to make the save. The two men then start brawling around the ring, down the aisle, where Vampire Warrior hits a bulldog on the concrete. Tommy's thrown into a wall before being hit with a chair. When Vachon smacks the warrior with a chair of her own, 
Vampire Warrior begins to stalk after Luna when Dreamer makes the save again to send them brawling back towards the ring. Tommy is busted open as they enter it, but he does have a frying pan in hand. Oh no! Warrior sends Dreamer to the ropes, but Tommy slides under Vampire Warrior to hit his Bella Lugosi's <gasps> and his skull with the pan to bust the Warrior open. Dreamer hits a fallaway slam to send Vampire Warrior to the floor, where he continues to use different items across the head of the Warrior. That steel bar, it looks like it's so strong, but it bends pretty well. Before hitting a bulldog on the concrete as well. The two men make their way to the eagle's nest, where chairs are used to cross each other's backs, before fighting their way back to ringside. It's the bat's nest. It might as well be. (laughs) Luna wipes the blood from Vampire Warrior's forehead and rubs it all across her own face. Because Luna's a real one. <laughs> I was glad that I knew that they were actually married or I would have probably been grossed out by I this. mean, it's still <laughs> gross, but uh, yeah, it's like, well, you know. I mean, Luna, this is where Luna can shine. She can't do this stuff over in the it WWF. She sucks her blood at other times. Oh, so. yeah, maybe. Ew. Ew, yuck, ew. They are a match made in... Um, uh, the ECW arena. <laughs> Warrior then hits Tommy with a chair as he's grabbing a table. The table is pushed partially into the ring as the two men roll in, followed by a vampire warrior clothesline. But Dreamer fights back with a low blow to fully bring the table in, where it is flat on the mat. Warrior grabs Tommy to hit a DDT on that table before setting up a chair in the middle of the ring, where he goes for another DDT. But Dreamer back body drops out of it. Tommy then uses that chair to springboard himself up into the air to hit a DDT for the pin and, and the win. win. He's on. He was on his Sabu, jumping off of chairs. Air Dreamer. The Air Dreamer. That's good. And of course, now he's hardcore. Now the people like this stuff. We then get Todd Gordon, the president of ECW, in the ring with a mic. When he is interrupted by Bill Alfonso. I need to, I need to buy a whistle. <laughs> Please don't. I won't buy a whistle. Fonzie says he is there to conduct himself in a professional manner. And you know why I'm here. Gordon responds that he has no clue why he's there. So Bill tells him that he's the senior official. But Todd says he will run ECW his way. Kick his ass, Todd. Kick his ass. First time any Todd has ever been over in his life. Yes. (laughs) Alfonso continues that he isn't there to take any static from Gordon, from wrestlers, or from any of these fans. And then the two men start shoving each other. With Todd says he is ready to fight. All of a sudden, Scorpio, Too Cold Scorpio, and Cactus Jack, along with other officials, come out to hold him back. My favorite is Bill, right before they come out to hold him back... Bill Alfonso just flicks him in the head. <laughs> and it's just like the perfect shitty thing to do. Crowd wants him to go as they keep screaming, Let him go! Yeah. Let him go! They've had enough of Alfonso. We then get a title screen that says Extreme Encyclopedia. With like some loot music behind it? Unabridged 1995 edition with that music behind it. We get definitions of... Jungle Jim Steel. Deadest Metis. A warrior of ultimate proportions. 
this former star of the Ted Turner-owned WCW organization has terrorized wrestling fans by his mere existence. <laughs> Poor guy. That's the problem. Solution? Call 911. And we go to Paul E. Dangerously. Dangerous Mouthus. An oral loose cannon. A cell phone junkie whose business mergers usually involved AT&T portable and blue chip human skull. See Yuppius Psychosis, Scourge of Scarsdale, and NYC's Nightmare. Hmm. I love it. It's so stupid and I love it. We then get 911. Niner Uno Uno. Uh, excuse us, but we're the ECW production team. Being health conscious, refuse to write anything that has the chance of offending this choke-slamming giant. In other words, write your own encyclopedia. <laughs> I love that on the 911, the letters are all uppercase and lowercase. Like, they're trembling, but it reminded me of the, like, Spongebob meme from a few years ago. Yes. And it finishes it off with, we hope that's okay with you, Mr. 911. We then cut to Joey Styles in front of the banner where he looks at his notes... And just starts smiling at the camera. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was a bit, guys. Yeah. So yeah, we're yeah we're working on we're trying comedy. I, I liked it. I found it pretty funny. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> but that leads us into our fifth match: Jungle Jim Steele versus Nine One One with Paul E. Dangerously. Now we haven't seen Steele since Super Brawl Four. All the way back in episode 112. 41 episodes ago. Damn, we've made a lot of these. A couple. <laughs> Just a couple. The crowd immediately starts chanting, We want five. I know. They're like, not even 911 at this point. And they're just like, We want five. Just, you did, you did, was it six last time? No, it was four. Oh, it was four. First. Okay. So why didn't they say six? I guess they just need one more. One more. Yeah, I, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking like you know, even numbers. I apologize. Steel misses a charge into the corner, and 911 gives the crowd what they want, hitting a choke slam for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Post match, the crowd keeps chanting this time with four, four more times, times. and 911 continues with more choke slams as the crowd counts them down. And of course, we get that chanted has just showed up to maybe usurp the, uh, oh, why can't I think of it? But they're doing na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey-hey, goodbye. Yep. Can't even think of the one that we couldn't get rid of. What's the hip-hop chant that was going on for, like, two years straight? I don't want to say it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Paul E. grabs the mic and dedicates the next choke slam to his associates at the CNN Tower in Georgia. After that choke slam, Dangerously dedicates the next one to Renegade, WCW's Ultimate Warrior ripoff. I love it. The crowd is chanting one more time, but Paul E. says they can't do it. Continuing by saying he can forgive Shane Douglas for wearing a Monday Night Raw t-shirt, but can't justify giving Steele another slam. 911 and Dangerously start to leave the ring. But as Paul is about to step off the apron, he stops and says, Unless 
you let me dedicate this one to Bill motherfucking Alfonso. And 911 hits one last choke slam. Oh, maybe with even the 10. Crowd going crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, Polly. It's been so good for so long. We then go to our sixth match Beulah McGillicuddy with Raven and Stevie Richards versus Luna Vachon. And I was like, why isn't Tommy out? But he did just get beat down earlier in the night. So. Yeah, he got blood. Very early in his match. So as soon as the bell rings, Richard smacks Luna with a chair across the back, allowing Beulah to make the cover for the pin and the win. Okay. Thanks for coming. Mm-hmm. Post-match, Raven continues the beat down with a DDT, which brings Dreamer running out, only to receive a chair shot as he rolls into the ring. Raven starts laying it in on Tommy, hitting another DDT, then proceeds to start breaking Dreamer's fingers one by one. Raven then handcuffs Luna to the ropes in a crucifixion pose and is about to take her head off with a chair when Tommy throws himself in front of to save her. Say a nasty unprotected headshot. Yeah. I mean, you know, unprotected headshots are kind of the name of the game over here in ECW, but that one was a little yucky. A little bit. Yeah, that's uh, a Tommy Dreamer, I tell you. <laughs> Saves the day. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's Kinda. what no- no- knocked loose his incredibly bad take on uh, <laughs> on uh, Dark Side of the Ring. <laughs> so we then go to our seventh match. Just flying through the show, guys. I mean, there's uh, a lot on this show, but most of it isn't wrestling. Th- th- definitely not. Raven and the Pitbulls of number one and number two with Stevie Richards and Beulah versus Two Cold Scorpio and Taz with Paul E. Dangerously. You might be wondering, hey, that's three on two. But Tommy Dreamer was supposed to be part of this match. Oh. But if he wasn't beaten up enough to come out for Luna, he's now definitely beaten up (laughs) enough to not participate in this match. So he's unavailable. He's, he's icing his wounds and, and uh, drinking a Budweiser. But the Shaw himself Shaw. runs down to the ring to clear it of the nest. But Bill Alfonso comes out as well and tells Hack Myers that he can't compete since he is not scheduled for this match. Was Bill Alfonso's ring? Bill Alfonso's really getting on my nerves. I'm still loving so he's it. doing his job. I'm still loving it. Scorpio then makes his way out to the ring alone, allowing the nest to take advantage, beating him down. But Taz then makes his way out to the ring, all new in orange and black with short hair, and begins showing why he's called the human suplex machine, hitting belly to bellies on each member of the nest. Paul E. takes the mic and he says something to Raven but it's bleeped by the network. And Joey even says that he agrees, but won't comment on it. (laughs) Things finally settle down into an actual tag match, with Too Cold continuing to get beat down by the nest, until he recovers to arm drag number two. But the Pitbull isn't very good at taking them, so it looks like a bit of a mess, followed by a bad-looking monkey flip, an arm drag takedown, and a drop kick to send number two out to the floor, 
to be attacked by Taz. The human suplex machine is then tagged in. The nest begins to work him over with clotheslines and whip-aided back elbows, before number two uses a chair across his back on the floor. Back in the ring, Taz is taken over with a double underhook suplex by Raven, but he responds with a low blow and starts to make the crawl to the corner, only to be cut off by number two, who power slams the machine for a two count. Taz ducks a clothesline from Raven and counters it into a Tazplex, which allows him to make the hot tag. Two colds in with Savat kicks to everybody before hitting a moonsault on number two for a near fall. Out on the floor, Dangerously points out a woman holding a sign that says, I heart Stevie Richards, saying she has no taste. <laughs> I like. It's crazy that like, is, I was like, is Pitbull number one hurt? Because this match is all Pitbull number two. He is just, it's basically a one guy match. Back in the ring, Scorpio has body slammed number two and climbs to the top rope for the 450 splash. But Taz rolls into the ring, grabbing number two to hit a released German, causing Too Cold to be all, what are you doing? <laughs> Bad communication between the faces, guys. This distraction allows the Pitbulls to hit the machine from behind with a double team clothesline. So Scorpio flies off the top with a double clothesline of his own to take them both out. Now while this is happening, Raven sees Stevie talking to his fan and he walks over and slaps him before grabbing Beulah by the hair, taking his two flunkies with him to the back. Now in the ring, the Pitbulls have recovered to toss Too Cold over the ropes to the floor before hitting a slingshot clothesline. And the Pitbulls start yelling for Raven because he's he's their master. I, they, I assume that they're just beating him down like, well, to give the pin to Raven. Exactly. Because, like I said, he's their master. With number two, he's standing on the ropes looking for him, which allows Taz to backdrop number one before delivering a belly-to-belly superplex to number two for the pin and, and the win. win. And you might be wondering, who is that woman in the crowd? I was wondering that. We will see her for many years mm. as that was the debut of Francine. Oh, okay. I was curious, but I didn't. I know who Francine is, but I didn't. These, these uh, videos are not of the highest quality. No. I mean, she won't get the name for a little while. She'll yeah. just she'll be a, just a woman in the crowd. But we'll yeah, see her. They're for, building it up. We'll see her for a little while. You know, here's to building. It's that woman. Yeah. So we're headed to our eighth match: the public enemy of Flyboy Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge versus Axel Rotten and a mystery partner for the ECW World Tag Team Championships. The champs. Come out first. Foreshadowing. Do we want any belt on a rotten? Uh, probably not. <laughs> so Axel announces his partner as none other than his brother, Ian Rotten. Oh my gosh. But they've been beating each other, you know, stupid for the last three months. If not longer. Yeah, probably longer. Bill Alfonso then comes out and reminds everybody 
that Bad Breed lost a match saying they can no longer team together in ECW, which had happened seven months prior. I was like, oh my god, continuity, guys. <laughs> I love it. Uh, this Bill's here to do. Axel and Ian decide if they can't fight Public Enemy, then they will just fight each other, and they start brawling their way into the crowd, leaving Public Enemy dancing. I mean, they've been dancing. The crowd's with them. They're dancing, too. So that must be everything, right, guys? Yeah, uh, absolutely. All of a sudden... Two men jump the barricades and start attacking Rock and Grunge. It's New Jack and Mustafa Saeed. The hoodies. Who we last saw on the NWA Smoky Mountain Wrestling World Heavyweight Tournament episode 135. The gangsters bust open Public Enemy with a variety of weapons, including a pipe and chairs, before setting Rocco on a table, which immediately breaks. Only for New Jack to just splash him off the top rope. And Joey Styles is informing us that they don't wrestle here. They don't work here. We're getting invaded. Then Todd Gordon and the Philadelphia Police Department run down to the ring and they arrest New Jack and Saeed, walking them out of the arena in handcuffs. I mean, that's incredible. That's good stuff. What a debut, guys. Yeah. And immediately another challenger for public enemy. I mean, they need they can't Something. wrestle each other forever. And, obviously and they already they have. They can't wrestle bad breed, so. Yeah. Give thank, them the gangsters. Thank God. So we go to our eighth match. The Sandman with Woman versus Cactus Jack in a barbed wire match for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Once again... The champion comes out first. Bum, bum, bum. Foreshadowing. So Jack comes out. He's wearing a really cool Bruiser Brody Stan Hansen shirt under his flannel. I don't know if you guys saw it. It's pretty cool. It was yeah. really cool. I saw Brody's face and I was like, oh, let me, let me get a closer look. So the ring ropes have been replaced by barbed wire. So Sandman is reluctant to join Cactus Jack in the ring at first. But once the two men finally meet in the middle, only for Jack to use Sandman's momentum to send him towards the ropes. But Sandman avoids going in face first. I mean, that's the name of the game. Avoid the wire. Cactus Jack whips Sandman only for him to slide out underneath the wire to regroup with woman, a beer, and a smoke. I mean, he's taking five. Finally, back in the ring, Jack grabs Sandman and tries to smash his face into the wire. But Woman comes along with a cane to whack him in the ankle that had been hurt on the previous show. Continuity. Sandman, with a couple of uppercuts, sends Cactus Jack into the wire before hitting a front suplex onto the wire, which also tears basically one side of the ring completely down. Yeah, we're... we're, uh... Quote unquote ropeless. Yeah. Sandman follows out to the floor and wraps the wire around Jack's neck before delivering a leg drop. Back inside, Sandman starts ripping at Jack's bicep with the barbed wire before hitting a vertical suplex and then goes back to using the wire. Cactus Jack starts to fire up using the wire as well. 
ripping the champ's shirt off before smacking the Sandman with a chair out on the floor. Sandman begins to choke Jack with his torn shirt, followed by wrapping the barbed wire around Cactus Jack's face. Fan then hands Jack a cheese grater to use on the Sandman, but a low blow regains control for the champ back inside the ring before hitting an atomic drop to place Cactus Jack on the ropes. So I gotta do to get a frying pan out here. <laughs> Fans start throwing cans and action figures into the ring, which the two men use, before Jack hits a DDT on a chair, followed by leg dropping the chair onto Sandman's face for a two count. Cactus Jack rolls out of the ring, finding the entire barbed wire roll, throwing it into the ring. But when he rolls back in, Sandman just dumps Jack right on top of the, the roll. What I love about this is that it makes sense for them to put the barbed wire roll under the ring after they replace the ropes with barbed wire. Yeah. We don't just have kendo sticks under the... Yeah. It's like, a, I'm fine when somebody pulls out like a toolbox from under the ring. Yeah, but like, yeah, it's like we don't have ten chairs under a ring. But we... Hey, do have Terry's not here. Don't need him. <laughs> yeah, but I just I appreciated that uh, it made sense because I get really annoyed when people just pull like silly weapons that shouldn't that have no purpose in being there. Sandman continues with a leg drop across his neck on the barbed wire roll as well it's for a, little, a near fall. It's a little haystack of barbed wire. Sandman then attempts an elbow drop, but Cactus Jack moves, sending the champ right into the roll allowing Jack to wrap some wire around his arm to punish Sandman some more. They roll out to the floor where Sandman continues to be demolished with a barbed wire apron elbow by Jack. Cactus Jack continues with a series of chair shots that put Sandman down, but it exhausts Jack to the point of collapse. And the ref begins to make a 10 count, with Cactus Jack making it back to his feet at 9, and the bell rings. The ring announcer says Jack is the winner. And new! He did it, guys. But... Uh, this doesn't sound like a cute but. Bill Alfonso comes out and says the title cannot change hands on a 10 count. And orders the match to continue. The two refs begin to fight. With Cactus Jack trying to play Peacemaker allowing Sandman to come up from behind to choke him with some wire. Jim Molyneux, the original ref, wants to call for the bell, but Fonzie lets the choking go on too long before declaring that Jack cannot continue, awarding the match to Sandman. Post-match, Todd Gordon runs down and he shoves Alfonso, stalking him around the ring when Fonzie hits a clothesline in retaliation. Oh, Bill Alfonso with the clothesline. Cactus Jack makes his way back into the ring, still covered in barbed wire, as Joey says his goodbyes, and the show fades to black, with the crowd chanting bullshit and cheering on Jack. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of barbed wire, hoodies, and chokeslams? I mean, this is a very ECW show. This might be like the, like if you boil it all down, because there's like storylines 
and violence and a uh, little wrestling. Oh my! Oh my! Yeah, this <laughs> if you this is like if you boiled down what easy what everybody thinks ECW is. It's like oh, well, there's some smattering of like good and great things in the future. We'll, we'll you know we've had our our Eddies and our Chris's so far. Uh, some Scorpio, Sabu's fun. In the future, we'll have our awesome and uh, why can't I think of his name? Masato Tanaka matches and things like that. But when you boil down what ECW is, it's kind of barbed wire hoodies and choke slams, like what everybody thinks it is and what it is a lot of the time. And even at its best, it's like, well, at least there's storylines and it is shocking and gross. The uh, crash TV, as people put, would put it later. But, um, I mean, there's no wrestling here. Yeah. There's kinda, some suplexes. I like those. Kind of agree with everything there. Uh, minimal wrestling on a wrestling show. Lots of clips and one-minute matches and weird calls and interruptions and distractions. But, as I'm saying this in my super tired voice, it was enough to keep me entertained. Oh, it's not a hard watch at all. Yeah. It kind of feels like an episode of Raw or something, like in the Attitude Era, you know what I mean? Where it's just like, it just kind of keeps moving. And there's like always something happening, and it's very kinetic, but like there's no... Chris Benoit versus Two Cold no. Scorpio or something like that. Yeah. I mean, which if we put one of those in the middle of the show, we got we might we might be able to call the show like totally worth your time. <laughs> so literally, there are eight matches, no nine matches on this show. The first six are in the first thirty-five minutes of the recording. Yeah. Yeah. So, like that tells you how long that those matches went. If if there was even like, I think there's two or three matches there in a row that's like literally one line is the match of notes. I have one line of notes for the entire match. So there is no wrestling on this show. It is kind of a just a build, getting characters over. Exactly. Storylines and debuts are the highlight of the show. And they're fun. I mean, honestly, Gangrel might be the highlight. And I thoroughly enjoyed this show. It's like, really easy I, to watch. I had a lot of fun watching it, even with there not being a whole lot of wrestling. It's because not... Because everything yeah. just... It moved. It, exactly. It's it not moved. a hard pill to swallow. No, it's definitely not. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Gangsters coming Gangsta's, out, beating up on public enemy. The logic of the barbed wire roll, I'm a huge fan of. Gangrel having extreme encyclopedia. Ex, yeah, extreme encyclopedia. Gangrel having the foresight to crossbody to the concrete, just like you know, he was like, "I'm getting over tonight." And they did have him actually, considering he just showed up, booked in a pretty big thing. But you know, I think he delivered. I mean, they used completely. They used. Vampire Warrior and Luna's real life relationship to actually help further the Tommy Dreamer storyline. Yeah, no one's ever going to call Luna a poor performer, and Gangrel's no. got some fire no. under his ass because it's early in his career right now. Not that Gangrel's ever been a poor performer, but like he's nobody's favorite fucking wrestler. Sorry, Gangrel. I mean, I mean Vampire Warrior. Shane, Shane, you said you didn't love. 
Bill Alfonso is getting on your nerves. Yeah, I mean, he's doing what he's supposed but to he's, do. Yeah, but... he's exactly doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He's being a and good I heel. I ab- absolutely love it. Yeah. Like, everything he does makes complete sense. Yeah, I'm in love with it at the moment. I can see it uh, getting old, just as, like, um, it getting tired of, like, it not being resolved. But right now, it's still fresh for me. But he's technically the best heel in the company at this point. I mean, yeah, but Paul, he's a babyface. Yeah. <laughs> but your biggest... I mean, your biggest heel is probably Sandman, but people love Sam, Sandman. Sandman doesn't really ever feel like a heel, even when he is the heel. Yeah, yeah he's beating up his girlfriend at Cheers exactly. a couple of months ago. So, like that, what you like? I mean, that's a heel thing to do, but that's a baby face over here. We love violence against women in ECW. Exactly. I mean, the royal uh, we, of course, not me personally. The ECW we. Yes, the WCW. How about most disappointing? I would have kind of liked to see a a, a a junior cruiser match here, just to remind me that wrestling exists. But like I said, easy show to watch. That would, but maybe that would have made the rest of the show less good. I don't know, because you would have been like, oh, what about wrestling? I completely agree with you. No, a show without Eddie Dean, Chris, or any of those Sabu guys. Even. I mean, yeah, always. Always is going to make the show not as good. We got a bunch of suplexes. That's cool. This show is six days before Best of Super Junior starts in Japan. So our so our, our good our good working hard working boys right. are well, across the pond because I was are, I was trying to figure out why the hell they yeah. do a show without any of them. <laughs> yeah, because they've been getting over incredibly well. People are giving standing ovations to wrestling matches at an ECW show. Yeah. So that is where they are. It is disappointing that they can't be in both places. But at the I'm same so time. much. I'd rather have them over there because that's where they belong. But know that we're going to see them very soon. Very soon, doing that stuff. So, anything else disappointing from you guys? As we said, six matches, thirty-five minutes. Maybe a little. I mean, I'm glad that none of them got longer. Like got more time than what they got because they didn't need any more time than what they got. No, they accomplished everything. But pretty quickly. some of these matches definitely did not need to be here. Yeah, and the yeah. good thing about this show is that like there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of uh, a lot of garbage shit. But it's all given the appropriate amount of time. Nothing really drags out to where you're like Jesus. Even the Ian and Axel Rotten thing like doesn't overdo it, and we've seen them. Take too much time. Arguably yeah. too many times. Not arguably. Definitely <laughs> How about best performer of the night? I don't I don't even know. I mean Jack, maybe. I mean a lot everybody kinda brings it. Alfonso. Yeah. <laughs> old Bill, old Billy's bringing it for sure. Taz in the new get up. I mean Taz dropping like ten suplexes. Which we know that I love. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the suplex. Especially a Taz suplex. A Tazplex, if you will. The ECW encyclopedia. The production, <laughs> no shit, the production yeah, crew that. with that. Like, literally, as soon as it came on the screen, I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, they did it like, a, like a weird it, old font. As soon as it started, I was just like, okay, that that's great. They're getting and then cute. the next one, I was like, oh, that's even better. Then the 911, I was Okay, yeah. rewind. Mm. We're writing this all down. Yeah, no, it was 
very cute. It kind of has like like late 80s WWF feel, but it's also at the same time kind of mocking that. And it like it's very tongue-in-cheek as opposed to um, serious, so it, it works. How about most surprising? I mean, gangsters and, and old vamp, vamp war. And Francine. I mean... Yeah, Francine, the, I didn't even the, know the, who it was. The debuts. I mean, I can definitely see why... I knew that it was going to be something, because I could tell that, like, it's like, oh, well, this is a They're purposely pointing her out. So yeah, and the way it was, like, shot and everything. And, like, you know, that she was uh, that hot in an ECW show. No shade thrown, but, like, you know... I mean, gangsters is definitely the most surprising, because I, like... They came out of nowhere. Also, the surprising thing about the gangsters is, is that they actually booked it as if it was, like, an invasion. They're like, they don't work here. And they had the cops pull them out, which is so good. Yeah. They probably uh, should have arrested New Jack right there and just put him away for ten years for the better of... For that, like, for the better of anybody else that enjoys the, the ring with the him. World. Yeah. I mean, I love New Jack, but the man uh, is a bit of a psychopath. If you do a little bit of research, you don't have to dig deep to find it out. I completely forgot who Juggle Jim Steele was until I saw him on the screen. They really um, burned him up bad. Yeah, they did. <laughs> hey, he got a paycheck, guys. He got 80 bucks. They were like, we'll give you an extra 30 for dragging your name through the dirt. I mean, that's not... Yeah, I mean, it's a, a lot of... Watchable show? Very... I mean, yeah, I think for me the big surprising thing, and it just makes sense of it, was just that there was no triple threat. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Ric Flair had one of the most impressive years in 1989, having faced Ricky Steamboat and Terry Funk in trilogies of classic matches when he came into Great American Bash 1990 in Baltimore, Maryland, having been the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion for 14 months. To face the man called Sting. Sting, born 1959 in Omaha, Nebraska, but raised in Southern California, playing football and basketball while in high school before embarking on a career in bodybuilding. The Stinger would be introduced to professional wrestling along with the Ultimate Warrior in 1985, working Memphis and Louisiana until Jim Crockett Promotions would purchase his contract in 1987. The company would see Sting as a rising young star, putting him on NWA's very first pay-per-view, Starcade 87, in a match to showcase him. He would continue to rise through the ranks to main event Clash of the Champions 1 versus the Nature Boy. The Stinger would be placed into feuds with the Four Horsemen before moving on to face Barry Windham, and Mike Rotunda in championship matches. In 1989, Sting would enter a feud with the Great Muda over the NWA Television Championship, where neither man could ever get the better of the other. But bigger things were ahead, as the Stinger would win a four-man round-robin Ironman tournament at Starcade 89 to become the number one contender for the world championship. Unfortunately, a knee injury would force Sting to the sidelines for six months until his day in Baltimore would arrive. The Stinger would win the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship with the help of his friends, the Dudes with Attitudes, to keep the Horsemen at bay. 
and a small package as Flair would go for the figure four to get the pin. Sting would defend the belt for the rest of the year from the shenanigans of the Horsemen, which included Sid Vicious and the Black Scorpion, who turned out to be the Nature Boy in disguise. But Flair would want a real rematch early in 1991, and he would get it. Bum, bum, bum. Poor Sting. The knee injury take him six months off of being, being uh, you know, the, hot, the, the, the big hot guy. Yeah. Chicks dig scarves, though, so. <laughs> Chicks dig sting, right? Supposedly. I mean, I'm... Uh, as long as he's on a motorcycle. Oh, yeah. He's a handsome man. Next week, Great American Bash 1995. I wish I had a date in Ohio. Dave, have you ever seen people from Ohio? <laughs> I've never been to Ohio. It's just a joke from, uh, from uh, Wayne's World that I like quite a bit. <laughs> I think we're all going to be there together. We are. So a triple date. Triple date. Music from this week's show is Thunder Kiss 65 by White Zombie. Yeah. And Sandman won our main event. So we play Enter Sandman by Metallica. Cue cue the riff. I was going to do it through the outro, but you can't do that. You can't just be making sounds at you like that. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipe, food ideas, drink ideas, snack ideas, anything from Philly or <laughs> anywhere really but Philadelphia mostly. Yes. You can do that on our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. Exit live. We'll talk to you next week. Slide on into them DMs. <laughs> <laughs>